Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. We are at this point in time, in the last few days, of what recently has been an annual month-long assault upon anything based on morality. I realize that morality can be seen in multiple aspects. Um, I was listening to a recording, I guess it was in the 80s, uh, and uh, this guy, his name was uh, Zappa. He was a rock and roll artist, and he was accusing the Reagan administration of trying to legislate morality. And he made a statement in here. He said, I think that's one of the greatest problems. He said, we have a First Amendment and Second Amendment. We have all these Bill of Rights. And how dare any executive or legislation branch legislate morality? He said, that is crippling. That is a, I quote, fascist type regime. And of course, someone responded to him and said, well, every society has to have a level of morality. He said, yes, there has to be civil morality. Here's the problem but not religious morality. Now I find that humorous actually. It tickles my funny bone, what's left of it. How can you have, how can any, how can there be such a thing as civil morality? Think of this for a moment. Civil morality, break the phrase apart. Civil, if you will, has the idea of cultural morality. Now what that would mean is a a multi-directed exception of anything a society did. So ergo, if I would just hold to a cultural morality, then that culture will be well within their regards to express whatever their morality is. So uh, uh, you read in the ancient journals, or not even ancient, but in the old journals, I think of uh, um, Grenfell, who was missionary in the Congo in the 1800s down to 1903, saw the HMS Peace, a fascinating vessel she was. He had taken this, he worked as an apprentice in a shipyard for a number of years in the drafting and, and uh, he wanted to go up the Congo but it was a very shallow bottom at some points and other places, it was full of rapids. So he custom designed this boat on the field, sent it back, had it built to specification. He had seven locking areas of components in this boat. He could disassemble it in very narrow or dry times and they could literally carry this boat to deeper water up the Congo reassemble it and he could keep going. It was a steamboat. And he would speak often in his diaries about the various civilizations. One of the civilizations that strikes my interest to mind to you tonight is a civilization in which in their native language was no expression for the word forgiveness. They had expressions for vengeance and revenge, but they had no expression whatsoever in their language for forgiveness. So in that society, forgiveness was not a statute or a foundation of any type morality. You know what that would lead that society to be? That society would ever be at war with itself. Now we look back over the historical events next week. Next week, uh, we'll mark the, uh, um, I used to have all this memorized, 100 and uh, is it 59th, I believe it is, uh, 169th maybe anniversary of Gettysburg might be, uh, uh, I believe it is 59th, uh, 159th, it's 1863, July the 1st through the 3rd, 1863. And uh, some days later, Abraham Lincoln would meet there in his stovepipe hat and he would say, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty. He talks about the fact that we have dedicated these hallow grounds. Uh, And that's an amazing thing. Can you imagine if our society had no morality of forgiveness? You can't 
easily stitch back together any feelings of being united or any feelings of appreciation when you're talking about more than 10% of the population being exterminated. That's 600,000 men. That's a significant... Can you imagine living in a society that had no contemplation of what forgiveness was? To say that there is civil morality is to leave every culture to figure out what they like and dislike. Every thriving society has had its basis in biblical morality. Biblical morality is not the same thing as the Christian faith. Western Europe was dominated for generations. Lo, I might would even venture it was dominated for the better part of close to 2,000 years by a level of biblical morality. So when you look in Western Europe, the principle that is accepted is thou shalt not lie. Their word means something. Now, regardless of what you might think of the overarching politics of those countries, it does not go to to discern that their morality is based on something on regards to the Word of God. Now, if you would take and you would look at the cultural acceptance of the Far East, you would find out that lying, bearing false witness, is not a tenet that goes against their society. It is not embraced by the morality of their society. Why? It has not been, if I could use this word, baptized in some type of morality of the Word of God. The only morality that any society is going to have is going to have to be tethered to the reality of some type of higher morality. You don't want a culture to figure out what their own morality is. Why? Because they'll be led by their hearts. And the heart is deceitful above all things and... I don't want a bunch of desperately wicked politicians or a bunch of desperately wicked preachers determining what true morality ought to be. Morality must be based on a higher truth and the highest truth being the Word of God. Any success our country has had has been because it has accepted the principles of the Word of God. That is not the same thing as saying that all of our founding fathers were Bible-believing Christians. In fact, I don't know that that can honestly be said. Jefferson was not a believer. Franklin was not a believer. But what they did have in common is they accepted the morality of the Word of God as being the highest revealed form of truth. Therefore, they would etch in the founding documents both civil and, in some cases, moral qualities that a society should have. But I would note the founding fathers would address something of a society in this lies, that the only way in which this society will perform is if its citizenry is made up of moral people. And as we see morals denigrated and deserted across our landscape, that is the greatest problem this society faces. The greatest problem our society faces is not the invasion of Russian forces. I think, if anything, this past week, if you've kept abreast of any of the news, then you found out this week that Russia's got its own problem with partisan Russia. Moscow streets were only brokered by a last-minute treaty to keep one of Putin's warlords from taking over Moscow and deposing him as the leader of Russia. Russia is not our greatest adversary. Xi Jinping of China is not our greatest adversary. 
The greatest adversary that this country, our society faces, is its uh, depreciating morals. And you see it on full display. It seems with each passing year, the limits of our pseudo-morality of this culture are tested more and more. uh, Years ago, it was just the waving of a colored flag, a rainbow flag, if you will. And then it was subtle parades. And now you find it flying on the center area of the White House lawn. Now you see it with parades that include drag shows. You see it a face with 15 plus different types of genders. You see it with the absolute recruitment of children into their ranks. By the way, the type of evil that I refer to this evening has to recruit children. That's exactly what they have to do. Let me give you a few examples. Back on the 7th of this month, I was sitting for lunch and I noticed as I was perusing through some of the news that uh, in a neighboring city here, uh, Reading, PA, you had a Christian, quote-unquote, protester is how they referred to him. He referred to himself as a Christian preacher, but I'll leave that for semantics. He was not a pastor. But he was falsely arrested because he peacefully protested by holding a sign with a Bible verse across the street from a LGBTQ plus parade. This is Reading, PA. Like literally, what is that, an hour from us? A commanding sergeant slapped him in irons, pushed him up against a wall, arrested him. The mayor released multiple statements in part because of the uh, barrage of telephone uh, calls that he received from the community calling the mayor and the police department's line in protest of what was done to this fellow. Video evidence came to light. It just so happened as all this was going, somebody held up a camera and they videoed it. And once that was produced into evidence, the district attorney dropped all charges and he was free on his own recognizance. Now that doesn't mean that the mayor and the sheriff are going to receive any repercussions whatsoever. That's in Reading. Just an hour down the road. I'll give you another example. Recently, a Houston pastor wrote a letter. He wrote this letter to help parents explain to their children a biblical view of Pride Month. Big Tech, Google in particular, branded this letter as hate speech and banned it from being online. In reiteration of this, he was giving the gospel. He was condemning the sin, giving the gospel. This was not a, I hate them, I hope they all die and burn in hell. It was not that type of attitude. He was not celebrating their lifestyle. He was not agreeing with their lifestyle, but he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because that came in conflict with the theology of the gay pride agenda, it was banned as propaganda. Recently, I was sitting down to watch a family show. And there was these commercials that were coming in, and I was shocked by the number of commercials that advertises the utter depravity and sensuality of Pride Month. I'll give you another example. About 32 teams is my understanding in Major League Baseball. Now, I'm not speaking on the virtues of Major League Baseball, but I'm giving you an example. 32 Major League teams that dot this country of ours. With the exception of one of them, all of the balance of them celebrated Pride Month with a Pride Night. In fact, even in Dodger Stadium, you have drag queens masquerading themselves as nuns 
to the acceptance of those at Dodger Stadium. By the way, if you're wondering, the only team in Major League Baseball, I hate to break this to the Phillies, Philly fans, the Atlanta Braves fan, but the only team not hosting a Pride Night is the Texas Rangers, who issued a public statement that said, we will hold no such night. We want everybody and every family to feel comfortable at every game. And they recognized about holding one of these, it was ostracizing. I, I doubt that it was a moral decision. I really believe it's really a financial decision they're making. Many have chosen to boycott certain establishments. Take, for instance, Target and Starbucks for their advancement of pride material. And this has had some avail. Both institutions have retreated, at least to some extent, from their stances. It ultimately shows that institutions like Starbucks and like Target will do anything almost for a dollar bill. Yet the question remains, how biblically should we as believers in the 21st century address this, and I don't know how else to say it, growing issue? It's not going to go away. It's worse now than it was five years ago. It's worse five years ago than it was 15 years ago. It's worse 15 years ago than it was the preceding 20 years before that. And due to the company of our group this evening, I'll spare you some of the wicked details. But it's perhaps worse, no, I would say almost factually worse this year than it was in any preceding year. I was in Washington, D.C. on the 6th, the 5th and 6th of June. And that flag, I find this very interesting in my mind. The gay player flag was not on the centerfold of the, of the White House. It was not present there. They may have had it under the American flag on top of the spire, but it wasn't in the front where it made all the news recently. You know why? In my estimation, it's my opinion. Why would they put it there December or June the 8th, but it wasn't there June 6th and 7th? It's because of D-Day. D-Day. All those old men, all the parades that they had, I really believe that's the only reason that would held it back. They knew it would be unacceptable to that group. And then by the time you get to June 8th, the bottom, as it were, fell out. But thankfully, the Scripture provides us with discernment, insight, and answers. Notice our verse again. He speaks of ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. If you write in your Bibles, you circle that word lasciviousness. Lasciviousness has with it the idea of licentiousness, filth, and wantonness. In fact, if you drop your eyes down a little bit later to verse number 8, you'll see an italicized that same word, filthy. Emphasizing, for clarity's sake, what type of dreams these dreamers are having. They're wicked dreams. The manifestation of their thoughts reminds us of that that was found in the days of Noah. It is only continual evil. And any time a society embraces, it will only grow worse and worse. Sodom and Gomorrah did not become Sodom and Gomorrah overnight. And the movement that we see afoot in our society that permeates seemingly every artistic center, every academic center, and every political center did not occur overnight. It's been an ongoing and continual process. He mentions this, they've turned the grace of God 
into lasciviousness. Think about this for a moment. What is the grace of God? He's not just talking about salvation. He's talking about the fact that God did not bring judgment on them. At first, they engaged in their wickedness. Somehow, societies and people have the idea that if God does not intervene with divine judgment at the moment I sin, then he somehow must be okay with what I do. No doubt that was at the source of what Pharaoh thought. Well, I can deny the commands that were given to me by the Almighty God through the mouthpiece of Moses of, of to let thy people go, and I can choose not to. And if God didn't destroy me on night one, then I'll probably be okay night two and night three, and night four. That's the grace of God. It's the grace of God manifested on the fact that he has forbeared his judgment. The city of Sodom and Gomorrah is an excellent example of this. Engaged in all kind of wickedness long before, listen, long before Abraham prayed a prayer for God to spare the judgment of the city, judgment had already come on the city. You'll remember the battle of the five kings in the book of Genesis. They swept down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and took all of them hostage. Now you think for a moment if old faithful Abraham and those servants in his house that were armed had not come to the avail of the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, there had never been a need to drop fire and brimstone upon them. Rather than seeing God's grace upon them, manifested by His mercy, what did they continue to do? I mean, come on, if a just godly friend of God had a rescued a sinner's behind from sure destruction? Wouldn't that make you want to be a little bit more like the friend of God? Wouldn't that have called attention and say, hey, this man's all by himself. He's been called from earth the Chaldees. He's all by himself. It's just his servants. He doesn't even have an heir except for the chief steward in his house. And yet he gathered all these armed servants and he whipped a bunch of kings. I don't know about you, but I think to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to, to just a, the casual observer of history, I might would say, wow, where did he get that ability? How has God blessed him as such? And maybe I'd want to be more like him. But what did the city of Sodom and Gomorrah do? Only more in their wickedness. They turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. God didn't intervene so we can do more and more and more and more. And old undiscerning, Doubting Lot fell into this same midst. Note verse 7. In reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's the first rainbow in the Bible right there. The first society that embraced Pride Month. The first society that embraced alternative lifestyles. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what the text says. In fact, if you look at the phrase, going after strange, the word strange is an interesting word. It's heteros. You might have heard of a heterosexual. What the scripture's saying here is they went after that which was different than normal. That which was different than nature as seen. They embraced a godless lifestyle. And I'll draw your attention again to verse number 7. And notice the phrase, they gave themselves over. That's an interesting phrase, give themselves over to fornication. In the Greek, it's all one word. Gave themselves over to fornication. Now, fornication, we know the Greek word to be porneos. 
but it's preceded by the prefix ek, ek. And that prefix ek has the idea of that which denotes exceedingly. The idea they gave themselves over to something, it meant they exceedingly pursued that which was godless. That's what you're seeing in your society and mine. You're not seeing just individuals that are casual or closet anymore. They have embraced this wickedness with every fiber of their being. In order to do so, they have to have set aside all morality and all concerns regarding the commandments of the Almighty God. They've just discarded them. Now I would imagine, as is the case, there may be some people that are caught up in the fervor of others who embrace. It does not happen overnight. You do not become a homosexual apologist overnight. And not everyone that's called up in this is the same thing as being an apologist for this lifestyle. But nevertheless, their end shall be the same. Just as in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah, there were individuals that were not banging at Lot's door, attempting to do harm to those angelic beings. There were individuals in the city that were not engaged in that, but their lot was the same, no pun intended there. When you find the rainbow efference in your scriptures, you find it as those that gave themselves utterly over to wickedness. They went after that which was strange, unusual, unnatural, debaucherous. The rainbow. Notice in verse number 8, I've coined this the unicorn. Now I'm not speaking about the unicorn that's mentioned eight and nine times in Scripture. I'm not speaking about the monohorned rhinoceros. I'm not speaking about the unicorn in a sense of the Norwal well. I'm not speaking of uh, Julius Caesar when he described uh, an animal. It would in many cases be the factual animal of the unicorn that was extinct from 1627 to the date. Julius Caesar wrote of this factual unicorn as a little below the elephant in size, having an appearance and color and shape of a bull. Their strength and speed are extraordinary. That This unicorn, I speak of this factual but now extinct animal, is spare neither man nor wild beast, which they have espied. Not even when taken very young can they be rendered familiar to men and tamed. The size and shape and appearance of their horns differ much from the horns of our oxen. These are anxiously sought after. They bind at the tips with silver and use cups as the most sumptuous entertainment. Talking about those that would pursue this type of animal. I'm not speaking about a unicorn in the sense of a biblical sense. These that are engaged in filthy dreamers have the tendency to change the essence of words. When you think about the word unicorn, it can be used as a factual animal. It can also be used in the sense of everyday speak something that is found to be unusual. You might would use it in the context to say that truth is the unicorn of Washington, D.C. It's something very rarely ever sought within the halls of chambers. I read recently uh, that there is a fellow, he's seven foot four. He's in the NBA draft, and he's considered the next unicorn center. And what they mean by that is physically he has every tool that he needs to be dominant, but there has not been a dominant center in the NBA in almost a generation. Could this be the unicorn? That myth to be true. This is not what I speak of. I speak of the contemporary way in which 
This unicorn is a slang for someone that is in a polyamorous relationship. Equally, they have associated colors with a mythical animal that are embraced by the same pride group. Notice verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. I think again of Noah. The thoughts and meditation of their hearts was only continual evil. You want to know what the inward thoughts of these licentious, wicked individuals are? It's given to you in verse number 8. Note, there's a few things here. He says, number one, these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh. They contaminate. It's interesting. One of the men running for the Democratic nomination for president, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You look him up sometimes. There's a lot of interesting things there. Uh, But nonetheless, I thought it was interesting. Uh, He has some unique views on sciences and social things of this nature. But one of them that drew my attention was recently where he said that uh, HIV did not cause AIDS and how um, in moral relationships was not an advancement of that sickness. And he went on and gave all these statistics and quoted all these doctors and all this other stuff. And then my mind began to think how that flies in the face of the evidence which most Americans know. Did you know in the 1980s when the crisis of the AIDS epidemic was breaking out, a lot of political individuals on either side of the spectrum were opposed to using federal dollars to invest in that? They did not get it through a blood transfusion. I've had two blood transfusions. And when I was conscious for the second one, I had to sign a waiver. And that waiver, I had to sign it because there was a chance that the blood could be microscopically contaminated, and that I could wind up with hepatitis B or uh, HIV or something. And I had to sign it, and I elected not to sign it. And the nurse got angry with me, and uh, I had to recruit individuals the same blood type that would give blood to me. She told me, she said, their blood, I don't care who they are, will not be as pure as what the hospital can be. And I said, well, I prefer their lifestyle. I'll take my chances. There was a time our society was remiss to invest in that because they all knew exactly from whence it come. You want to know what this society, this pride society engages in? They dream, and of their dreams, their desire is to defile and contaminate flesh. By the way, children are easy prey for them. Why in the world parents would subject their children to the influences of this lifestyle is beyond me. And it's so subtle, but it's bombarded. I mentioned Target a moment ago, but one of the outcries was that as you walk through their store, and I have not been in a lot of Targets, but my understanding is you walk through some of their children's stores, their screen-printed tees, it's okay to be different. Arthur, the famous PBS show, several years ago, had one of his school teachers marrying his school teacher's friend. And they were just going to be two married people. It's normal. You listen to Sesame Street and all these other ones where they talk about it's okay to be different. It's okay to have different loves, and it's okay to look different and not be normal. But that's an indoctrination. Well, if you really want to call it what it is, it's grooming. 
and it's expressed throughout society. You almost don't have a corner anymore in which you can go to find this. It's practically on every streaming outlet. Now, that's not, I'm not condemning all streaming outlets in a broad sense. I'm going to tell you why Disney's involved in them. Because they're making a buck. You take the opportunity to make a buck away, people will change their differences about it. You're saying there's no diehard? No, I'm sure there's diehard people in every area of industry, tech, art, education, everything else. But it's not all of them. But if it's ability to increase the margin and profit, it will come. If it's going to hurt the margin and profits, it will change. They contaminate the flesh. But what else do they dream of? Well, they despise dominion. You circle that word despise. It means to de-esteem. It means to devalue. Now, there are certain things in life that we value to a level that we should not. For instance, I would say that we are warned throughout scriptures to have no other gods before the supreme God. We're warned in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21 to keep ourselves from idols. There are some things we need to de-esteem in life. Surely 1 John chapter 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Yes, there are things I need to de-esteem. But the idea of this despising dominion, dominion is authority. All authority comes from the God of all power. And they despise it. You listen to this pride group. They want to burn it all down. Listen, I'm not up here today or this evening. I've done a considerable amount of research on American history and world history. I wouldn't stand up here and tell you that America's never had national sins. I wouldn't stand up here and tell you that America's never sinned as a nation and she's never made any mistakes or that she's done everything perfect. I wouldn't say that. That would be contrary to history that I know to be fact. I'll tell you, she's done many good things. You know, sometimes it's easy to become blinded. Let me tell you something. You won't hear me say this too many times, so I might as well tell you now because I can. Did you listen to your governor? I think it was on Good Morning America this past week. Governor Shapiro. It would be well worth you finding the clip. If he does what he wants to do, it would be a good thing for people in this room. I know you may not have voted for him. But it'd be a good thing. In fact, I would esteem it to be one of the high marks of his political career. And I happen to believe the only reason he's doing it is because it's politically expedient. But by the way, there's many a things done that is politically expedient. Are you dying to know yet? He championed parental right of choice for schools on a national televised address. That loud bang you heard last week was the Pennsylvania House Democrats pounding their head up against a wall and the teachers union screaming because they're going to lose a buck. Parental choice, what he's telling you is that if you want, you don't have to send your kids to a public school. You could rather use tax dollars, and he did not give a lot of clarity on how this occurs, but you could use the tax dollars to send that child to the private choice school that you wanted to. Now, you may not choose to use that. You may say, well, I would prefer homeschool. But I'm going to tell you what, a lot of recruiting is done in the halls of public schools. Anything that undermines that godless institution, I'm almost always for. That's right, you had a governor that did that. I don't know that he can pass it or not. But hey, if your governor did something good, 
Maybe you ought to write him a note and be thankful for his decision. You know what Mr. Shapiro wants in three years? He wants the same thing every first term administration wants. A second term. Well, I lost my notes, didn't I? But you listen to this society, they despise dominion. De-esteem it. Burn it all down. Recently, we had the overturn of Roe v. Wade, which really was a bogus court case to begin with. Overturned. Did that end abortion? No, it did not make abortion illegal across the country. No, I don't think they're going to see it at a time in our life where abortion is going to have a federal allowance or a federal prohibition to it. I don't think you'll see that. <clears throat> Why? You need 60 U.S. senators. Good luck. They can't agree on anything. By the way, you ought to thank God they can't agree on anything. Don't be upset about the gridlock. Don't be upset about it. If you had a government that could change on a whim, you wouldn't want to be part of that government. That would be revolutionary in context. Go ask the French patriots from the 1790s what it's like to live in a country that one day was this and literally overnight became this. It will not be pleasant. Look, gridlock's okay. Sometimes I wonder if we ought to judge presidents by what they didn't do. In some ways, that could be a positive thing. It'd be nice to have a president once that didn't feel like he had to change everything. He just had to protect what was present. But we're in a society where they despise. Burn it all down. Tear down the Supreme Court. Tear down the government. Tear this down. Tear this down. Tear down good men and good women. Tear down good institutes. Anything that doesn't agree with them, we despise dominion. That's a mark of these filthy dreamers. He's going to continue. I think of how much was hated by some in this pride movement. The don't ask, don't tell policy of the late, I guess that was pre-2012. I think it's been over for 10 years. And in fact, I would note the first marriage, civil union is what they called it then. The first civil union between two military personnel was done June 23rd, 2012. McGuire Dix Chapel. By the way, one of those men that had the civil union was the son of a Baptist preacher. Despised dominion. Notice he says in verse 8, speak evil of dignities. It is dignities. There's no dignitary. He's not talking about political leaders. He's covered that in a previous thing. Dignities here, he, dignities has the eye things, things of some, it's actually the Greek word doxia, from which we get glory. It's heavenly things. They'll look at heavenly things and they'll speak evil. That is to blaspheme and rail upon. They'll defy God. And that's exactly where your pride movement is. A great defamation of pride. What are you supposed to do in a society where myths and lies reign supreme? Time won't allow us all of this text, but flip over to verse number 14. Here's a New Testament mention of a fellow. We can go back to Genesis chapter 5. Time won't allow us. You'll find about four verses about him. He's the seventh from Adam through the line of Seth. 
Of his descendancy came Methuselah and ultimately Noah. We know he lived in a pre-Diluvian world. Pre-flood is what I'm speaking of. He lived in a time where there were great advancements scientifically. There were great advances civilly. But there was great immorality, murder, rampant throughout his society. And yet there's a phrase that grabs our attention. Enoch walked with God. Enoch's eyes in his message, only time it's recorded in Scripture, he states, 6,000 years ago he did, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 saints. If you write in your Bible, circle that. I ponder at these words, how did Enoch know this? He did not have the revealed canon of Scripture that you and I do. He didn't. He was pre-Diluvian flood. And yet he says he comes with 10,000 of his saints. Where did these 10,000 of the saints come from? Where did they come from? I mean, because his little grandson Noah has only eight righteous people. That's it. Two, three generations before, Enoch's talking about ten, not 10,000. Look at it again. What's it say? Then there's an S on the end of that. That means a series of 10,000s. That's multiple quantities of 10,000s. And I'm sure they laughed at him. I think you and I need to rest in something. I need to rest in the fact that there's always godly people in every society, in every generation, that don't bow the knee. You're not by yourself. I came out of the White House. Had a little tour there. They shuffled us through. Took some pictures. I'd come back around. I passed the long line. In line, I had listened to these ladies who were obviously very liberal. Just listening. They were talking loud enough, so I didn't have anything else to do. I listened. Talking about how they made Pope John II, how wonderful he was, and how they were surprised that they were invited because this was back during his realm as Pope when, when they, uh, uh, they were obviously advocates for pro-choice, or as it is now, it's no longer pro-choice. It's now called women's right. You've got to get the right language there. She corrected herself. Well, I mean women's right. Women's right. I had to change it because someone came up with the idea that pro-choice meant pro-death, and that did market well, so now it's women's rights. I began to talk about this. I mature and I came out. You begin to think about all those souls present at the Capitol. You see up perhaps on a spire a rainbow flag. There's a memory that has come back to me. As I got back down Pennsylvania Avenue about ready to cross, I looked to the right-hand side. I heard something all too familiar. He wasn't a first-generation American. Couldn't have been. You say, why? I say, because his speech betrayed him. He did not equivocate with the English language like a, like a second-generation. He was a first-generation American. He had a thick Asian accent. But I understood exactly what he was saying. Not by the words, but by the tune. As with a megaphone, he began to say, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. 
No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I could only hear faintly with a megaphone. He was a considerable way over there on a public display. He was singing the answer. He was not irreverent. People passed him by, probably did not give a thought really regarding him. Just some, perhaps they would say, crazy foreigner. I smiled in my heart. I thought about all these second, third, fourth, fifth. Even like myself, my folks have been here since before there was a United States. And yet here's someone from a country many years ago. And guess what he has? Truth. Don't you lose hope. Yes, there is the crescendo of wickedness upon us. But yours is not to faint. There's always a remnant. And there will always be a remnant as long as truth is publicized. And Satan has no dominion or power capable of muting the truth of the Word of God. Enoch knew this. He preached. He cometh ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince, that is to punish, that's the idea, the idea to convict all them that are ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which they have ungodly sinned, uh, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There's a couple of truths right here. Remember the remnant. Remember the all-knowing God and remember his coming. Over in Revelation, turn there with me if you will. Note here, this is what Enoch's talking about. You have all the passages of the scriptures. From Genesis 5, there's no other mention of what is about to occur. It's unmistakable what Enoch's talking about. How did he know there was no John the Revelator had not yet been born? There was no revelation given. How did he know? Look here. The 19th chapter. John says, I saw the heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And notice this compound statement given here. You don't find this in any annals of any history, anywhere in human time. And in righteousness doth he judge. And what's that last phrase? You don't see righteous wars. You always see, no matter what the intent is. And there have been some wars with noble intent. But no war has ever existed that was righteous. Why? Atrocities, collateral damage always exist. Innocent is always injured. There's no way to avoid it no matter how much you try. And there are some civilizations, not, like, not unlike ours, that have really tried to preserve the innocence of their enemies. But here God, it says he, in righteousness doth make war. You know what that means? He only gets the guilty, but he gets all the guilty. And of course, I, I like this here too. Notice verse 14. And the armies. That's a good way to describe ten thousands, isn't it? Which battalion are you in? The armies which were with him in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, White and clean. You'll find in verse 15 and following, out of his mouth go a sharp sword that he should smite the nations. 
That's what gave Enoch some confidence in wicked, turbulent times. Yes, he's assaulted by the rainbow. Yes, he's assaulted by the unicorn. But yes, he remembers the white horse. That great coming God and the 10,000 times 10,000 that will be with him and a God of justice and holiness. Enoch's the key here. What shall we do? Walk with God. I think if we look down here, let me point out just two, three more things. Notice verse 18. Jude's going to address some things. He said, there's some words that you need to remember, verse 17, that were given by Christ to the apostles. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. You know, as you're walking with God and remembering the remnant and seeking the sovereign, if you will, you keep in mind some truths. Prepare for more ungodliness to come. That's what he's saying. They're going to walk after their ungodly lust. Lust begets lust. That's what you've seen in a society. They went from flags to getting their month to now it's in your face in every category of life. It's only going to get worse. Unless there is a quickening of the Holy Spirit of God through their salvation, it will get worse and worse. And I marvel, you know there's some countries that will not, I'm talking about the U.S., U.S. do about anything. But there are some countries overseas that will not allow two homosexuals to adopt. In fact, there are some countries that we would look at that we would deem backwards. Third world countries. They don't, don't even have the infrastructure of plumbing that we have. And look at this pernicious lifestyle and say, you guys are crazy. It's only going to get worse. Number two, you prepare for more to come, but number two, you need to preach the gospel with a growing fervor. Notice, if you will, he talks about these be they that separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. That spirit's all capital. He's talking about the fact that they're lost and on their way to a Christless eternity destined in the lake of fire. What do you need to do? I marvel at that old fellow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? I'm going to promise you the lust of this society is not fixing this problem. Regardless of what they say, they don't know inner peace because peace is the gift of God to those that have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know joy. That's why their depravity can know no end. Look at verse 20. You need to pursue the truth. Building up yourselves. If you're in the general... Bible study class, write that. I need some Bible studies. That's how you build up yourself. Exercise yourself. You want to know why Christians don't have much discernment today? It's because they're not studying the Word of God. Oh, they might have a cursory glance to it. But they've never really dug into the truths of the Word of God and seen it applied to the decisions they make in life. Build up yourself. Pursue truth. Verse number 20, he's going to conclude praying in the Holy Ghost. You need to pray in the will of God. And I think as you're praying in the will of God, don't just pray for the lost man that needs salvation. Pray as it pertains to what God is doing in your life. Pray that God makes you more submissive. Pray that God makes you more loving. Pray that God makes you more of a witness for Him. And then notice verse 21. There needs to be some persistence. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ 
unto an eternal life. Persist. Keep yourself. Give yourself over to the truths that are found. God's care for you. God's concern for you. Love what God loves. I mentioned at the opening about my appreciation for this assembly, for saints in general, but specifically for this assembly. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are cut loose. They're not tethered in. They're not mortared in an assembly. And as of such, when wind blows, they're left to their own loneliness and their own understanding. One of the great blessings that God has given each of this is the ability to come to the house of God. Sometimes we're silly in our thinking. A lot of Christians get the idea that they can just go anywhere to go to church. That is not true. There are cities across this country. There are cities across this country that don't have anything resembling what you have right now. I mean, I, monthly I've been talking to a church planner going somewhere here in the U.S. And they often start about how there's so many hundreds of thousand people and we're not sure if there's... I just talked to one recently outside of Birmingham, Alabama. He, he says it's growing and the air is growing in the suburbs and most of their solid churches are in rural areas, but that's not where the growth is. It's in suburbia. And suburbia has exploded in areas that used to be farms and they're sprouting up everywhere. And you know what's not there? The Bible preaching church. Hey, go find your Bible preaching church in Reading, PA. Go, go find one. I've already looked. There's some north and to the south and some on the fringe, but there ain't none in Reading. It's not to say there's no Christians there. It's interesting. All over the country is like that. I've mentioned this before. Our sermon audio page. It surprises me every time I look at this. Obviously, we get a lot of folks in Pennsylvania listening to online messages. Routinely, you know what the number two and number three places are in the U.S.? Oregon and California. I don't know really anyone that lives in either of those states. You know why they're doing that? Because they don't have what we have. Overseas would be similar. If ever there's a time to press forward for the Lord God, it's this time. They're seeing you coming on his white horse. Let's stand to our feet. Father. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.